When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 3, Part 1 of The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar, by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter 3, The Escape of Arsène Lupin, Part 1. Arsène Lupin had just finished his repast, and taken from his pocket an excellent cigar with a gold band, which he was examining with unusual care when the door of his cell was opened. He had barely time to throw the cigar into the drawer and move away from the table. The guard entered. It was the hour for exercise. "'I was waiting for you, my dear boy,' exclaimed Lupin, in his accustomed good humour. They went out together. As soon as they had disappeared at a turn in the corridor, two men entered the cell, and commenced a minute examination of it. One was Inspector Duzzi, the other was Inspector Follenfant. They wished to verify their suspicion that Arsène Lupin was in communication with his accomplices outside of the prison. On the preceding evening, the Grand Journal had published these lines, addressed to its court reporter. Monsieur, in a recent article you referred to me in most unjustifiable terms. Some days before the opening of my trial, I will call you to account. Arsène Lupin. The handwriting was certainly that of Arsène Lupin. Consequently, he sent letters, and no doubt received letters. It was certain that he was preparing for that escape thus arrogantly announced by him. The situation had become intolerable. Acting in conjunction with the examining judge, the chief of the Sûreté, M. Dudouis, had visited the prison, and instructed the jailer in regard to the precautions necessary to ensure Lupin's safety. At the same time he sent the two men to examine the prisoner's cell. They raised every stone, ransacked the bed, did everything customary in such a case, but they discovered nothing, and were about to abandon their investigation when the guard entered hastily and said, "'The drawer! Look in the table drawer! When I entered just now he was closing it!' They opened the drawer, and Duzzi exclaimed, "'Ah, we have him this time!' Follenfant stopped him. "'Wait a moment. The chief will want to make an inventory.' "'This is a very choice cigar.' "'Leave it there, and notify the chief.' Two minutes later, M. Dudouis examined the contents of the drawer. First he discovered a bundle of newspaper clippings relating to Arsène Lupin, taken from the Argus de la Presse, then a tobacco-box, a pipe, some paper called onion-peel, and two books. 
he read the titles of the books one was an english edition of carlyle's hero worship the other was a charming elzevir in modern binding the manual of epictetus a german translation published at leyden in sixteen thirty four on examining the books he found that all the pages were underlined and annotated were they prepared as a code for correspondence or did they simply express the studious character of the reader then he examined the tobacco-box and the pipe finally he took up the famous cigar with its gold band fichtre he exclaimed our friend smokes a good cigar it's a henry clay with the mechanical action of a habitual smoker he placed the cigar close to his ear and squeezed it to make it crack immediately he uttered a cry of surprise the cigar had yielded under the pressure of his fingers he examined it more closely and quickly discovered something white between the leaves of tobacco delicately with the aid of a pin he withdrew a roll of very thin paper scarcely larger than a toothpick it was a letter he unrolled it and found these words written in a feminine handwriting the basket has taken the place of the others eight out of ten are ready on pressing the outer foot the plate goes downward from twelve to sixteen every day h p will wait but where reply at once rest easy your friend is watching over you m doudouis reflected a moment then said it is quite clear the basket the eight compartments from twelve to sixteen means from twelve to four o'clock but this h p that will wait h p must mean automobile h p horsepower is the way they indicate strength of the motor a twenty-four h p is an automobile of twenty-four horsepower then he rose and asked had the prisoner finished his breakfast yes and as he has not yet read the message which is proved by the condition of the cigar it is probable that he had just received it how in his food concealed in his bread or in a potato perhaps impossible his food was allowed to be brought in simply to trap him but we have never found anything in it we will look for lupin's reply this evening detain him outside for a few minutes i shall take this to the examining judge and if he agrees with me we will have the letter photographed at once and in an hour you can replace the letter in the drawer in a cigar similar to this the prisoner must have no cause for suspicion it was not without a certain curiosity that m doudouis returned to the prison in the evening accompanied by inspector duzzi three empty plates were sitting on the stove in the corner he has eaten yes replied the guard duzzi please cut that macaroni into very small pieces and open that bread roll nothing no chief m doudouis examined the plates the fork the spoon and the knife an ordinary knife with a rounded blade he turned the handle to the left then to the right it yielded and unscrewed the knife was hollow and served as a hiding-place for a sheet of paper <laughs> he said that is not very clever for a man like arsène but we mustn't lose any time you duzzi go and search the restaurant then he read the note i trust to you h p will follow at a distance every day i will go ahead au revoir dear friend at last 
cried m dudouis rubbing his hands gleefully i think we have the affair in our own hands a little strategy on our part and the escape will be a success in so far as the arrest of his confederates are concerned but if arsene lupin slips through your fingers suggested the guard we will have a sufficient number of men to prevent that if however he displays too much cleverness ma foi so much the worse for him as to his band of robbers since the chief refuses to speak the others must and as a matter of fact arsene lupin had very little to say for several months m jules bouvier the examining judge had exerted himself in vain the investigation had been reduced to a few uninteresting arguments between the judge and the advocate maitre d'anval one of the leaders of the bar from time to time through courtesy arsene lupin would speak one day he said yes monsieur le juge i quite agree with you the robbery of the crédit lyonnais the theft in the rue de babylone the issue of the counterfeit bank-notes the burglaries at the various chateaux armesnil goret Amblevin, grosselier malaki all my work monsieur i did it all then will you explain to me it is useless i confess everything in a lump everything and even ten times more than you know nothing about wearied by his fruitless task the judge had suspended his examinations but he resumed them after the two intercepted messages were brought to his attention and regularly at midday arsene lupin was taken from the prison to the depot in the prison van with a certain number of other prisoners they returned about three or four o'clock now one afternoon this return trip was made under unusual conditions the other prisoners not having been examined it was decided to take back arsene lupin first thus he found himself alone in the vehicle these prison vans vulgarly called paniers à salade or salad baskets are divided lengthwise by a central corridor from which open ten compartments five on either side each compartment is so arranged that the occupant must assume and retain a sitting posture and consequently the five prisoners are seated one upon the other and yet separated one from the other by partitions a municipal guard standing at one end watches over the corridor arsene was placed in the third cell on the right and the heavy vehicle started he carefully calculated when they left the quai de l'horloge and when they passed the palais de justice then about the centre of the bridge saint-michel with his outer foot that is to say his right foot he pressed upon the metal plate that closed his cell immediately something clicked and the metal plate moved he was able to ascertain that he was located between the two wheels he waited keeping a sharp lookout the vehicle was proceeding slowly along the boulevard saint-michel at the corner of saint-germain it stopped a truck-horse had fallen the traffic having been interrupted a vast throng of fiacres and omnibuses had gathered there arsene lupin looked out another prison van had stopped close to the one he occupied he moved the plate still farther put his foot on one of the spokes of the wheel and leapt to the ground a coachman saw him roared with laughter then tried to raise an outcry but his voice was lost in the noise of the traffic that had commenced to move again moreover arsene lupin was already far away 
he had run for a few steps but once upon the sidewalk he turned and looked around he seemed to scent the wind like a person who is uncertain which direction to take then having decided he put his hands in his pockets and with the careless air of an idle stroller he proceeded up the boulevard it was a warm bright autumn day and the cafés were full he took a seat on the terrace of one of them he ordered a bock and a package of cigarettes he emptied his glass slowly smoked one cigarette and lighted a second then he asked the waiter to send the proprietor to him when the proprietor came arsène spoke to him in a voice loud enough to be heard by every one i regret to say monsieur i have forgotten my pocket-book perhaps on the strength of my name you will be pleased to give me credit for a few days i am arsène lupin the proprietor looked at him thinking he was joking but arsène repeated lupin prisoner at the santé but now a fugitive i venture to assume that the name inspires you with perfect confidence in me and he walked away amidst shouts of laughter whilst the proprietor stood amazed lupin strolled along the rue soufflot and turned into the rue saint-jacques he pursued his way slowly smoking his cigarettes and looking into the shop windows at the boulevard de port royal he took his bearings discovered where he was and then walked in the direction of the rue de la santé the high forbidding walls of the prison were now before him he pulled his hat forward to shade his face then approaching the sentinel he asked is this the prison de la santé yes i wish to regain my cell the van left me on the way and i would not abuse now young man move along quick growled the sentinel pardon me but i must pass through that gate and if you prevent arsène lupin from entering the prison it will cost you dear my friend arsène lupin what are you talking about i am sorry i haven't a card with me said arsène fumbling in his pockets the sentinel eyed him from head to foot in astonishment then without a word he rang a bell the iron gate was partly opened and arsène stepped inside almost immediately he encountered the keeper of the prison gesticulating and feigning a violent anger arsène smiled and said come monsieur don't play that game with me what they take the precaution to carry me alone in the van prepare a nice little obstruction and imagine i am going to take to my heels and rejoin my friends well and what about the twenty agents of the sûreté who accompanied us on foot in fiacres and on bicycles no the arrangement did not please me i should not have got away alive tell me monsieur did they count on that he shrugged his shoulders and added i beg of you monsieur not to worry about me when i wish to escape i shall not require any assistance on the second day thereafter the echo de france which had apparently become the official reporter of the exploits of arsène lupin it was said that he was one of its principal shareholders published a most complete account of this attempted escape the exact wording of the messages exchanged between the prisoner and his mysterious friend the means by which correspondence was constructed the complicity of the police the promenade on the boulevard saint michel the incident at the café soufflot everything was disclosed it was known that the search of the restaurant and its waiters by inspector Duty had been fruitless 
and the public also learned an extraordinary thing which demonstrated the infinite variety of resources that lupin possessed the prison van in which he was being carried was prepared for the occasion and substituted by his accomplices for one of the six vans which did service at the prison the next escape of arsene lupin was not doubted by any one he announced it himself in categorical terms in a reply to m bouvier on the day following his attempted escape the judge having made a jest about the affair arsene was annoyed and firmly eyeing the judge he said emphatically listen to me monsieur i give you my word of honour that this attempted flight was simply preliminary to my general plan of escape i do not understand said the judge it is not necessary that you should understand and the judge in the course of that examination which was reported at length in the columns of the echo de france when the judge sought to resume his investigation arsene lupin exclaimed with an assumed air of lassitude mon dieu mon dieu what's the use all these questions are of no importance what no importance cried the judge no because i shall not be present at the trial you will not be present no i have fully decided on that and nothing will change my mind such assurance combined with the inexplicable indiscretions that arsene lupin committed every day served to annoy and mystify the officers of the law there were secrets known only to arsene lupin secrets that he alone could divulge but for what purpose did he reveal them and how arsene lupin was changed to another cell the judge closed his preliminary investigation no further proceedings were taken in his case for a period of two months during which time arsene was seen almost constantly lying on his bed with his face turned toward the wall the changing of his cell seemed to discourage him he refused to see his advocate he exchanged only a few necessary words with his keepers during the fortnight preceding his trial he resumed his vigorous life he complained of want of air consequently early every morning he was allowed to exercise in the courtyard guarded by two men public curiosity had not died out every day it expected to be regaled with news of his escape and it is true he had gained a considerable amount of public sympathy by reason of his verve his gaiety his diversity his inventive genius and the mystery of his life arsene lupin must escape it was his inevitable fate the public expected it and was surprised that the event had been delayed so long every morning the prefect of police asked his secretary well has he escaped yet no monsieur le prefet to-morrow probably and on the day before the trial a gentleman called at the office of the grand journal asked to see the court reporter threw his card in the reporter's face and walked rapidly away these words were written on the card arsene lupin always keeps his promises it was under these conditions that the trial commenced an enormous crowd gathered at the court everybody wished to see the famous arsene lupin they had a gleeful anticipation that the prisoner would play some audacious pranks upon the judge advocates and magistrates reporters and men of the world actresses and society women were crowded together on the benches provided for the public it was a dark sombre day with a steady downpour of rain 
only a dim light pervaded the court-room and the spectators caught a very indistinct view of the prisoner when the guards brought him in but his heavy shambling walk the manner in which he dropped into his seat and his passive stupid appearance were not at all prepossessing several times his advocate one of m d'anval's assistants spoke to him but he simply shook his head and said nothing the clerk read the indictment then the judge spoke prisoner at the bar stand up your name age and occupation not receiving any reply the judge repeated your name i ask you your name a thick slow voice muttered baudru Désiré. a murmur of surprise pervaded the court-room but the judge proceeded baudru Désiré. ah a new alias well as you have already assumed a dozen different names and this one is no doubt as imaginary as the others we will adhere to the name of arsene lupin by which you are more generally known the judge referred to his notes and continued for despite the most diligent search your past history remains unknown your case is unique in the annals of crime we know not whom you are whence you came your birth and breeding all is a mystery to us three years ago you appeared in our midst as arsene lupin presenting to us a strange combination of intelligence and perversion immorality and generosity our knowledge of your life prior to that date is vague and problematical it may be that the man called rostat who eight years ago worked with dixon the prestidigitator was none other than arsene lupin it is probable that the russian student who six years ago attended the laboratory of dr altier at the st louis hospital and who often astonished the doctor by the ingenuity of his hypotheses on subjects of bacteriology and the boldness of his experiments in diseases of the skin was none other than arsene lupin it is probable also that arsene lupin was the professor who introduced the japanese art of jiu-jitsu to the parisian public we have some reason to believe that arsene lupin was the bicyclist who won the grand prix de l'exposition received his ten thousand francs and was never heard of again arsene lupin may have been also the person who saved so many lives through the little dormer window at the charity bazaar and at the same time picked their pockets the judge paused for a moment then continued such is that epoch which seems to have been utilized by you in a thorough preparation for the warfare you have since waged against society methodical apprenticeship in which you developed your strength energy and skill to the highest point possible do you acknowledge the accuracy of these facts during this discourse the prisoner had stood balancing himself first on one foot then on the other with shoulders stooped and arms inert under the strongest light one could observe his extreme thinness his hollow cheeks his projecting cheekbones his earthen-coloured face dotted with small red spots and framed in a rough straggling beard prison life had caused him to age and wither he had lost the youthful face and elegant figure we had seen portrayed so often in the newspapers it appeared as if he had not heard the question propounded by the judge twice it was repeated to him then he raised his eyes seemed to reflect then making a desperate effort he murmured Baudreux, the judge smiled as he said 
i do not understand the theory of your defence arsene lupin if you are seeking to avoid responsibility for your crimes on the ground of imbecility such a line of defence is open to you but i shall proceed with the trial and pay no heed to your vagaries he then narrated at length the various thefts swindles and forgeries charged against lupin sometimes he questioned the prisoner but the latter simply grunted or remained silent the examination of witnesses commenced some of the evidence given was immaterial other portions of it seemed more important but through all of it there ran a vein of contradictions and inconsistencies a wearisome obscurity enveloped the proceedings until detective ganimard was called as a witness then interest was revived from the beginning the actions of the veteran detective appeared strange and unaccountable he was nervous and ill at ease several times he looked at the prisoner with obvious doubt and anxiety then with his hands resting on the rail in front of him he recounted the events in which he had participated including his pursuit of the prisoner across europe and his arrival in america he was listened to with great avidity as his capture of arsene lupin was well known to every one through the medium of the press toward the close of his testimony after referring to his conversations with arsene lupin he stopped twice embarrassed and undecided it was apparent that he was possessed of some thought which he feared to utter the judge said to him sympathetically if you are ill you may retire for the present no no but he stopped looked sharply at the prisoner and said i ask permission to scrutinize the prisoner at closer range there is some mystery about him that i must solve he approached the accused man examined him attentively for several minutes then returned to the witness-stand and in an almost solemn voice he said i declare on oath that the prisoner now before me is not arsene lupin a profound silence followed the statement the judge nonplussed for a moment exclaimed oh what do you mean that is absurd the detective continued at first sight there is a certain resemblance but if you carefully consider the nose the mouth the hair the colour of skin you will see that it is not arsene lupin and the eyes did he ever have those alcoholic eyes come come witness what do you mean do you pretend to say that we are trying the wrong man in my opinion yes arsene lupin has in some manner contrived to put this poor devil in his place unless this man is a willing accomplice this dramatic denouement caused much laughter and excitement amongst the spectators the judge adjourned the trial and sent for m bouvier the jailer and guards employed in the prison when the trial was resumed m bouvier and the jailer examined the accused and declared that there was only a very slight resemblance between the prisoner and arsene lupin well then exclaimed the judge who is this man where does he come from what is he in prison for two of the prison guards were called and both of them declared that the prisoner was arsene lupin the judge breathed once more but one of the guards then said yes yes i think it is he what cried the judge impatiently 
You think it is he? What do you mean by that? Well, I saw very little of the prisoner. He was placed in my charge in the evening, and for two months he seldom stirred, but laid on his bed with his face to the wall. What about the time prior to those two months? Before that he occupied a cell in another part of the prison. He was not in cell twenty-four. Here the head jailer interrupted and said, We changed him to another cell after his attempted escape. But you, monsieur, you have seen him during those two months? I had no occasion to see him. He was always quiet and orderly. And this prisoner is not Arsène Lupin? No. Then who is he? demanded the judge. I do not know. Then we have before us a man who was substituted for Arsène Lupin two months ago. How do you explain that? I cannot. In absolute despair, the judge turned to the accused and addressed him in a conciliatory tone. Prisoner, can you tell me how and since when you became an inmate of the prison de la Santé? The engaging manner of the judge was calculated to disarm the mistrust and awaken the understanding of the accused man. He tried to reply. Finally, under clever and gentle questioning, he succeeded in framing a few phrases from which the following story was gleaned. Two months ago he had been taken to the depot, examined and released. As he was leaving the building, a free man, he was seized by two guards and placed in the prison van. Since then he had occupied cell twenty-four. He was contented there, plenty to eat, and he slept well, so he did not complain. All that seemed probable, and amidst the mirth and excitement of the spectators, the judge adjourned the trial until the story could be investigated and verified. End of chapter 3, part 1《Chapter Three, Part Two of the Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar by Maurice Leblanc. Chapter Three, The Escape of Arsène Lupin, Part Two. The following facts were at once established by an examination of the prison records. Eight weeks before, a man named Baudreux-Désiré had slept at the dépôt. He was released the next day, and left the dépôt at two o'clock in the afternoon. On the same day at two o'clock, having been examined for the last time, Arsène Lupin left the dépôt in a prison van. Had the guards made a mistake? Had they been deceived by the resemblance, and carelessly substituted this man for their prisoner? Another question suggested itself had the substitution been arranged in advance. In that event, Baudreux must have been an accomplice and must have caused his own arrest for the express purpose of taking Lupin's place. But then, by what miracle had such a plan, based on a series of improbable chances, been carried to success? Baudreux Désiré was turned over to the anthropological service. They had never seen anything like him. However, they easily traced his past history. He was known at Courbevoie, at Asnières, and at Le Valois. He lived on alms and slept in one of those rag-pickers' huts near the barrier de Ternes. He had disappeared from there a year ago. 
had he been enticed away by arsène lupin there was no evidence to that effect and even if that was so it did not explain the flight of the prisoner that still remained a mystery amongst twenty theories which sought to explain it not one was satisfactory of the escape itself there was no doubt an escape that was incomprehensible sensational in which the public as well as the officers of the law could detect a carefully prepared plan a combination of circumstances marvellously dovetailed whereof the denouement fully justified the confident prediction of arsène lupin i shall not be present at my trial after a month of patient investigation the problem remained unsolved the poor devil of a baudreux could not be kept in prison indefinitely and to place him on trial would be ridiculous there was no charge against him consequently he was released but the chief of the sûreté resolved to keep him under surveillance this idea originated with ganimard from his point of view there was neither complicity nor chance baudreux was an instrument upon which arsène lupin had played with his extraordinary skill baudreux when set at liberty would lead them to arsène lupin or at least to some of his accomplices the two inspectors folenfant and duzzi were assigned to assist ganimard one foggy morning in january the prison gates opened and baudreux desiré stepped forth a free man at first he appeared to be quite embarrassed and walked like a person who has no precise idea whither he is going he followed the rue de la sante and the rue saint-jacques he stopped in front of an old clothes shop removed his jacket and his vest sold his vest on which he realized a few sous then replacing his jacket he proceeded on his way he crossed the seine at the chatelet an omnibus passed him he wished to enter it but there was no place the controller advised him to secure a number so he entered the waiting-room ganimard called to his two assistants and without removing his eyes from the waiting-room he said to them stop a carriage no two that will be better i will go with one of you and we will follow him the men obeyed yet baudreux did not appear ganimard entered the waiting-room it was empty <sighs> idiot that i am he muttered i forgot there was another exit there was an interior corridor extending from the waiting-room to the rue saint-martin ganimard rushed through it and arrived just in time to observe baudreux upon the top of the batignol jardin de plate omnibus as it was turning the corner of the rue de rivoli he ran and caught the omnibus but he had lost his two assistants he must continue the pursuit alone in his anger he was inclined to seize the man by the collar without ceremony was it not with premeditation and by means of an ingenious ruse that his pretended imbecile had separated him from his assistants he looked at baudreux the latter was asleep on the bench his head rolling from side to side his mouth half opened and an incredible expression of stupidity on his blotched face no such an adversary was incapable of deceiving old ganimard it was a stroke of luck nothing more at the galerie lafayette the man leapt from the omnibus and took the la muette tramway following the boulevard houseman and the avenue victor hugo baudreux alighted at la muette station and with a nonchalant air strolled into the bois de boulogne he wandered through one path after another and sometimes retraced his steps what was he seeking had he any definite object at the end of an hour he appeared to be faint from fatigue 
and noticing a bench he sat down the spot not far from auteuil on the edge of a pond hidden amongst the trees was absolutely deserted after the lapse of another half-hour ganimard became impatient and resolved to speak to the man he approached and took a seat beside baudreux lighted a cigarette traced some figures in the sand with the end of his cane and said it's a pleasant day no response but suddenly the man burst into laughter a happy mirthful laugh spontaneous and irresistible ganimard felt his hair stand on end in horror and surprise it was that laugh that infernal laugh he knew so well with a sudden movement he seized the man by the collar and looked at him with a keen penetrating gaze and found that he no longer saw the man baudreux to be sure he saw baudreux but at the same time he saw the other the real man lupin he discovered the intense life in the eyes he filled up the shrunken features he perceived the real flesh beneath the flabby skin the real mouth through the grimaces that deformed it those were the eyes and mouth of the other and especially his keen alert mocking expression so clear and youthful arsène lupin arsène lupin he stammered then in a sudden fit of rage he seized lupin by the throat and tried to hold him down in spite of his fifty years he still possessed unusual strength whilst his adversary was apparently in a weak condition but the struggle was a brief one arsène lupin made only a slight movement and as suddenly as he had made the attack ganimard released his hold his right arm fell inert useless if you had taken lessons in jiu-jitsu at the quai des orfèvres said lupin you would know that that blow is called udishigi in japanese a second more and i would have broken your arm and that would have been just what you deserve i am surprised that you an old friend whom i respect and before whom i voluntarily expose my incognito should abuse my confidence in that violent manner it is unworthy ah what's the matter ganimard did not reply that escape for which he deemed himself responsible was it not he ganimard who by his sensational evidence had led the court into serious error that escape appeared to him like a dark cloud on his professional career a tear rolled down his cheek to his grey moustache oh mon dieu ganimard don't take it to heart if you had not spoken i would have arranged for someone else to do it i couldn't allow poor baudreux desire to be convicted then murmured ganimard it was you that was there and now you are here it is i always i only i can it be possible oh it is not the work of a sorcerer simply as the judge remarked at the trial the apprenticeship of a dozen years that equips a man to cope successfully with all the obstacles in life but your face your eyes you can understand that if i worked eighteen months with dr altier at the st louis hospital it was not out of love for the work i considered that he who would one day have the honour of calling himself arsène lupin ought to be exempt from the ordinary laws governing appearance and identity appearance that can be modified at will for instance a hypodermic injection of paraffin will puff up the skin at the desired spot pyrogallic acid will change your skin to that of an indian the juice of the greater celandine will adorn you with the most beautiful eruptions and tumours 
another chemical affects the growth of your beard and hair another changes the tone of your voice add to that two months of dieting in cell twenty-four exercises repeated a thousand times to enable me to hold my features in a certain grimace to carry my head at a certain inclination and adapt my back and shoulders to a stooping posture then five drops of atropine in the eyes to make them haggard and wild and the trick is done i do not understand how you deceived the guards the change was progressive the evolution was so gradual that they failed to notice it but baudreux desire baudreux exists he is a poor harmless fellow whom i met last year and really he bears a certain resemblance to me considering my arrest as a possible event i took charge of baudreux and studied the points wherein we differed in appearance with a view to correct them in my own person my friends caused him to remain at the depot overnight and to leave there next day about the same hour as i did a coincidence easily arranged of course it was necessary to have a record of his detention at the depot in order to establish the fact that such a person was a reality otherwise the police would have sought elsewhere to find out my identity but in offering to them this excellent baudreux it was inevitable you understand inevitable that they would seize upon him and despite the insurmountable difficulties of a substitution they would prefer to believe in a substitution than confess their ignorance yes yes of course said ganimard and then exclaimed arsene lupin i held in my hands a trump-card an anxious public watching and waiting for my escape and that is the fatal error into which you fell you and the others in the course of that fascinating game pending between me and the officers of the law wherein the stake was my liberty and you suppose that i was playing to the gallery that i was intoxicated with my success i arsene lupin guilty of such weakness oh no and no longer ago than the caorne affair you said when arsene lupin cries from the housetops that he will escape he has some object in view but sapristi you must understand that in order to escape i must create in advance a public belief in that escape a belief amounting to an article of faith an absolute conviction a reality as glittering as the sun and i did create that belief that arsene lupin would escape that arsene lupin would not be present at his trial and when you gave your evidence and said that man is not arsene lupin everybody was prepared to believe you had one person doubted it had any one uttered this simple restriction suppose it is arsene lupin from that moment i was lost if any one had scrutinized my face not imbued with the idea that i was not arsene lupin as you and the others did at my trial but with the idea that i might be arsene lupin then despite all my precautions i should have been recognized but i had no fear logically psychologically no one could entertain the idea that i was arsene lupin he grasped ganimard's hand come ganimard confess that on the wednesday after our conversation in the prison de la sante you expected me at your house at four o'clock exactly as i said i would go and your prison van said ganimard evading the question a bluff some of my friends secured that old unused van and wished to make the attempt but i considered it impractical without the concurrence of a number of unusual circumstances however i found it useful to carry out that attempted escape and give it the widest publicity an audaciously planned escape though not completed 
gave to the succeeding one the character of reality simply by anticipation so that the cigar hollowed by myself as well as the knife and the letters written by me and the mysterious correspondent did not exist ganimard reflected a moment then said when the anthropological service had baudru's case under consideration why did they not perceive that his measurements coincided with those of arsène lupin my measurements are not in existence indeed at least they are false i have given considerable attention to that question in the first place the bertillon system records the visible marks of identification and you have seen that they are not infallible and after that the measurements of the head the fingers the ears etc of course such measurements are more or less infallible absolutely no but it costs money to get around them before we left america one of the employees of the service there accepted so much money to insert false figures in my measurements consequently baudreux's measurements should not agree with those of arsene lupin after a short silence ganimard asked what are you going to do now now replied lupin i am going to take a rest enjoy the best of food and drink and gradually recover my former healthy condition it is all very well to become baudreux or some other person on occasion and to change your personality as you do your shirt but you soon grow weary of the change i feel exactly as i imagine the man who lost his shadow must have felt and i shall be glad to be arsene lupin once more he walked to and fro for a few minutes then stopping in front of ganimard he said you have nothing more to say i suppose yes i should like to know if you intend to reveal the true state of facts connected with your escape the mistake that i made oh no one will ever know that it was arsene lupin who was discharged it is to my own interest to surround myself with mystery and therefore i shall permit my escape to retain its almost miraculous character so have no fear on that score my dear friend i shall say nothing and now good-bye i am going out to dinner this evening and have only sufficient time to dress i thought you wanted to rest oh, there are duties to society that one cannot avoid to-morrow i shall rest where do you dine to-night with the british ambassador End of chapter 3chapter four of the extraordinary adventures of arsene lupin gentleman burglar this librivox recording is in the public domain the extraordinary adventures of arsene lupin gentleman burglar by maurice leblanc chapter four the mysterious traveller the evening before i had sent my automobile to rouen by the highway i was to travel to rouen by rail on my way to visit some friends that live on the banks of the seine at paris a few minutes before the train started seven gentlemen entered my compartment five of them were smoking no matter that the journey was a short one the thought of travelling with such a company was not agreeable to me especially as the car was built on the old model without a corridor i picked up my overcoat my newspapers and my timetable and sought refuge in a neighbouring compartment. It was occupied by a lady who, at sight of me, made a gesture of annoyance that did not escape my notice, 
and she leaned toward a gentleman who was standing on the step and was, no doubt, her husband. The gentleman scrutinized me closely, and apparently my appearance did not displease him, for he smiled as he spoke to his wife with the air of one who reassures a frightened child. She smiled also, and gave me a friendly glance as if she now understood that I was one of those gallant men with whom a woman can remain shut up for two hours in a little box six feet square, and have nothing to fear. Her husband said to her, "'I have an important appointment, my dear, and cannot wait any longer. Adieu.' He kissed her affectionately, and went away. His wife threw him a few kisses, and waved her handkerchief. The whistle sounded, and the train started. At that precise moment, and despite the protests of the guards, the door was opened, and a man rushed into our compartment. My companion, who was standing and arranging her luggage, uttered a cry of terror and fell upon the seat. I am not a coward, far from it, but I confess that such intrusions at the last minute are always disconcerting. They have a suspicious, unnatural aspect. However, the appearance of the new arrival greatly modified the unfavourable impression produced by his precipitant action. He was correctly and elegantly dressed, wore a tasteful cravat, correct gloves, and his face was refined and intelligent. But where the devil had I seen that face before? Because, beyond all possible doubt, I had seen it. And yet the memory of it was so vague and indistinct that I felt it would be useless to try to recall it at that time. Then, directing my attention to the lady, I was amazed at the pallor and anxiety I saw in her face. She was looking at her neighbour. They occupied seats on the same side of the compartment, with an expression of intense alarm, and I perceived that one of her trembling hands was slowly gliding toward a little travelling-bag that was lying on the seat about twenty inches from her. She finished by seizing it, and nervously drawing it to her. Our eyes met, and I read in hers so much anxiety and fear that I could not refrain from speaking to her. "'Are you ill, madame? Shall I open the window?' Her only reply was a gesture indicating that she was afraid of our companion. I smiled, as her husband had done, shrugged my shoulders, and explained to her in pantomime that she had nothing to fear, that I was there, and besides the gentleman appeared to be a very harmless individual. At that moment he turned toward us, scrutinized both of us from head to foot, then settled down in his corner and paid us no more attention. After a short silence the lady, as if she had mustered all her energy to perform a desperate act, said to me in an almost inaudible voice, "'Do you know who is on our train?' "'Who?' "'He... he... I assure you... Who is he? Arsène Lupin. She had not taken her eyes off our companion, and it was to him rather than to me that she uttered the syllables of that disquieting name. He drew his hat over his face. Was that to conceal his agitation, or simply to arrange himself for sleep? Then I said to her, Yesterday, through contumacy, Arsène Lupin was sentenced to twenty years' imprisonment at hard labour. Therefore, it is improbable that he would be so imprudent to-day as to show himself in public. Moreover, the newspapers have announced his appearance in Turkey since his escape from the Santé. But he is on this train at the present moment, 
the lady proclaimed, with the obvious intention of being heard by our companion, my husband is one of the directors in the penitentiary service, and it was the station-master himself who told us that a search was being made for Arsène Lupin. They may have been mistaken. No, he was seen in the waiting-room. He bought a first-class ticket for Rouen. He has disappeared. The guard at the waiting-room door did not see him pass, and it is supposed that he had got into the express that leaves ten minutes after us. In that case they will be sure to catch him. Unless at the last moment he leapt from that train to come here, into our train, which is quite probable, which is almost certain. If so, he will be arrested just the same, for the employees and guards would no doubt observe his passage from one train to the other, and when we arrive at Rouen they will arrest him there. Him? Never. He will find some means of escape. In that case I wish him bon voyage. But in the meantime think what he may do. What? I don't know. He may do anything. She was greatly agitated, and truly the situation justified to some extent her nervous excitement. I was impelled to say to her, Of course there are many strange coincidences, but you need have no fear. Admitting that Arsène Lupin is on this train, he will not commit any indiscretion. He will be only too happy to escape the peril that already threatens him. My words did not reassure her, but she remained silent for a time. I unfolded my newspapers and read reports of Arsène Lupin's trial, but as they contained nothing that was new to me, I was not greatly interested. Moreover, I was tired and sleepy. I felt my eyelids close and my head drop. "'But, monsieur, you are not going to sleep!' She seized my newspaper and looked at me with indignation. "'Certainly not,' I said. "'That would be very imprudent.' "'Of course,' I assented. I struggled to keep awake. I looked through the window at the landscape and the fleeting clouds, but in a short time all that became confused and indistinct. The image of the nervous lady and the drowsy gentleman were effaced from my memory and I was buried in the soothing depths of a profound sleep. The tranquillity of my response was soon disturbed by disquieting dreams, wherein a creature that had played the part and bore the name of Arsène Lupin held an important place. He appeared to me with his back laden with articles of value. He leapt over walls and plundered castles. But the outlines of that creature, who was no longer Arsène Lupin, assumed a more definite form. He came toward me, growing larger and larger, leapt into the compartment with incredible agility, and landed squarely on my chest. With a cry of fright and pain I awoke. The man, the traveller, our companion, with his knee on my breast, held me by the throat. My sight was very indistinct, for my eyes were suffused with blood. I could see the lady in a corner of the compartment convulsed with fright. I tried even not to resist. Besides, I did not have the strength. My temples throbbed. I was almost strangled. One minute more, and I would have breathed my last. The man must have realized it, for he relaxed his grip, but did not remove his hand. Then he took a cord in which he had prepared a slipknot and tied my wrists together. In an instant I was bound, gagged, and helpless. Certainly he accomplished the trick with an ease and skill that revealed the hand of a master, he was no doubt a professional thief. Not a word, not a nervous movement, only coolness and audacity. 
and I was there, lying on the bench, bound like a mummy. I, Arsène Lupin! It was anything but a laughing matter, and yet, despite the gravity of the situation, I keenly appreciated the humour and irony that it involved. Arsène Lupin seized and bound like a novice, robbed as if I were an unsophisticated rustic, for you must understand the scoundrel had deprived me of my purse and wallet. Arsène Lupin, a victim, duped, vanquished! What an adventure! The lady did not move. He did not even notice her. He contented himself with picking up her travelling-bag that had fallen to the floor and taking from it the jewels, purse, and gold and silver trinkets that it contained. The lady opened her eyes, trembled with fear, drew the rings from her fingers, and handed them to the man as if she wished to spare him unnecessary trouble. He took the rings and looked at her. She swooned. Then, quite unruffled, he resumed his seat, lighted a cigarette, and proceeded to examine the treasure that he had acquired. The examination appeared to give him perfect satisfaction. But I was not so well satisfied. I do not speak of the twelve thousand francs of which I had been unduly deprived. That was only a temporary loss, because I was certain that I would recover possession of that money after a very brief delay, together with the important papers contained in my wallet, plans, specifications, addresses, lists of correspondence, and compromising letters. But for the moment a more immediate and more serious question troubled me. How would this affair end? What would be the outcome of this adventure? As you can imagine, the disturbance created by my passage through the Saint-Lazare station has not escaped my notice. Going to visit friends who knew me under the name of Guillaume Berlat, and amongst whom my resemblance to Arsène Lupin was a subject of many innocent jests, I could not assume a disguise, and my presence had been remarked. So beyond question the commissary of police at Rouen, notified by telegraph and assisted by numerous agents, would be awaiting the train, would question all suspicious passengers, and proceed to search the cars. Of course I had foreseen all that, but it had not disturbed me, as I was certain that the police of Rouen would not be any shrewder than the police of Paris, and that I could escape recognition. Would it not be sufficient for me to carelessly display my card as député, thanks to which I had inspired complete confidence in the gatekeeper at Saint-Lazare? But the situation was greatly changed. I was no longer free. It was impossible to attempt one of my usual tricks. In one of the compartments the commissary of police would find M. Arsène Lupin, bound hand and foot, as docile as a lamb, packed up, all ready to be dumped into a prison van. He would have simply to accept delivery of the parcel, the same as if it were so much merchandise or a basket of fruit and vegetables. Yet to avoid that shameful denouement, what could I do, bound and gagged as I was? And the train was rushing on toward Rouen, the next and only station. Another problem was presented, in which I was less interested, but the solution of which aroused my professional curiosity. What were the intentions of my rascally companion? Of course, if I had been alone, he could, on our arrival at Rouen, leave the car slowly and fearlessly. But the lady? As soon as the door of the compartment should be opened, the lady, now so quiet and humble, would scream and call for help. That was the dilemma that perplexed me. Why had he not reduced her to a helpless condition similar to mine? 
that would have given him ample time to disappear before his double crime was discovered. He was still smoking, with his eyes fixed upon the window that was now being streaked with drops of rain. Once he turned, picked up my timetable, and consulted it. The lady had to feign a continued lack of consciousness in order to deceive the enemy. But fits of coughing, provoked by the smoke, exposed her true condition. As to me, I was very uncomfortable and very tired. And I meditated, I plotted. The train was rushing on joyously, intoxicated with its own speed. St. Etienne. At that moment the man arose and took two steps toward us, which caused the lady to utter a cry of alarm and fall into a genuine swoon. What was the man about to do? He lowered the window on our side. A heavy rain was now falling, and by a gesture the man expressed his annoyance at his not having an umbrella or an overcoat. He glanced at the rack. The lady's umbrella was there. He took it. He also took my overcoat and put it on. We were now crossing the Seine. He turned up the bottoms of his trousers, then leaned over and raised the exterior latch of the door. Was he going to throw himself upon the track? At that speed it would have been instant death. We now entered a tunnel. The man opened the door halfway and stood on the upper step. What folly! The darkness, the smoke, the noise, all gave a fantastic appearance to his actions. But suddenly the train diminished its speed. A moment later it increased its speed, then slowed up again. Probably some repairs were being made in that part of the tunnel which obliged the trains to diminish their speed, and the man was aware of the fact. He immediately stepped down to the lower step, closed the door behind him, and leapt to the ground. He was gone. The lady immediately recovered her wits, and her first act was to lament the loss of her jewels. I gave her an imploring look. She understood and quickly removed the gag that stifled me. She wished to untie the cords that bound me, but I prevented her. No, no, the police must see everything exactly as it stands. I want them to see what the rascal did to us. Suppose I pull the alarm bell. Too late. You should have done that when he made the attack on me. But he would have killed me. Ah, oh, monsieur, didn't I tell you that he was on this train? I recognized him from his portrait, and now he has gone off with my jewels. Don't worry, the police will catch him. Catch Arsène Lupin? Never! That depends on you, madame. Listen. When we arrive at Rouen, be at the door and call. Make a noise. The police and the railway employees will come. Tell what you have seen. The assault made on me and the flight of Arsène Lupin. Give a description of him. Soft hat, umbrella. Yours. Grey overcoat. Yours, said she. What? Mine? Oh, not at all. It was his. I didn't have any. It seems to me he didn't have one when he came in. Yes, yes, unless the coat was one that someone had forgotten and left in the rack. At all events, he had it when he went away, and that is the essential point. A grey overcoat, remember. Ah, oh, I forgot. You must tell your name, first thing you do. Your husband's official position will stimulate the zeal of the police. We arrived at the station. I gave her some further instructions in a rather imperious tone. Tell them my name, Guillaume Berlat. If necessary, say that you know me. That will save time. We must expedite the preliminary investigation. The important thing is the pursuit of Arsène Lupin. Your jewels, remember. 
let there be no mistake guillaume berlat a friend of your husband i understand guillaume berlat she was already calling and gesticulating as soon as the train stopped several men entered the compartment the critical moment had come panting for breath the lady exclaimed arsene lupin he attacked us he stole my jewels i am madame renault my husband is a director of the penitentiary service ah oh, here is my brother georges ardel director of the crédit rouennais you must know she embraced a young man who had just joined us and whom the commissary saluted then she continued weeping yes arsène lupin while monsieur was sleeping he seized him by the throat monsieur berlat a friend of my husband the commissary asked but where is arsène lupin he leapt from the train when passing through the tunnel are you sure that it was he am i sure i recognized him perfectly besides he was seen at the saint lazare station he wore a soft hat no a hard felt like that said the commissary pointing to my hat he had a soft hat i am sure repeated madame renault and a grey overcoat yes that is right replied the commissary the telegram says he wore a grey overcoat with a black velvet collar exactly a black velvet collar exclaimed madame renault triumphantly i breathed freely oh the excellent friend i had in that little woman the police agents had now released me i bit my lips until they ran blood stooping over with my handkerchief over my mouth an attitude quite natural in a person who has remained for a long time in an uncomfortable position and whose mouth shows the bloody marks of the gag i addressed the commissary in a weak voice monsieur it was arsene lupin there is no doubt about that if we make haste he can be caught yet i think i may be of some service to you the railway car in which the crime occurred was detached from the train to serve as a mute witness at the official investigation the train continued on its way to havre we were then conducted to the station-master's office through a crowd of curious spectators then i had a sudden access of doubt and discretion under some pretext or other i must gain my automobile and escape to remain there was dangerous something might happen for instance a telegram from paris and i would be lost yes but what about my thief abandoned to my own resources in an unfamiliar country i could not hope to catch him ah, i must make the attempt i said to myself it may be a difficult game but an amusing one and the stake is well worth the trouble and when the commissary asked us to repeat the story of the robbery i exclaimed oh, monsieur really arsene lupin is getting the start of us my automobile is waiting in the courtyard if you will be so kind as to use it we can try the commissary smiled and replied the idea is a good one so good indeed that it is already being carried out two of my men have set out on bicycles they have been gone for some time where did they go to the entrance of the tunnel there they will gather evidence secure witnesses and follow on the track of arsene lupin i could not refrain from shrugging my shoulders as i replied your men will not secure any evidence or any witnesses really arsene lupin will not allow anyone to see him emerge from the tunnel he will take the first road to rouen where we will arrest him he will not go to rouen 
then he will remain in the vicinity where his capture will be even more certain he will not remain in the vicinity oh ho and where will he hide i looked at my watch and said at the present moment arsene lupin is prowling around the station at darnetal at ten fifty that is in twenty-two minutes from now he will take the train that goes from rouen to amiens do you think so how do you know it oh it is quite simple while we were in the car arsene lupin consulted my railway guide why did he do it was there not far from the spot where he disappeared another line of railway a station upon that line and a train stopping at that station on consulting my railway guide i found such to be the case really monsieur said the commissary that is a marvellous deduction i congratulate you on your skill i was now convinced that i had made a mistake in displaying so much cleverness the commissary regarded me with astonishment and i thought a slight suspicion entered his official mind oh scarcely that for the photographs distributed broadcast by the police department were too imperfect they presented an arsene lupin so different from the one he had before him that he could not possibly recognize me by it but all the same he was troubled confused and ill at ease mon dieu nothing stimulates the comprehension so much as the loss of a pocket-book and the desire to recover it and it seems to me that if you will give me two of your men we may be able oh, i beg of you monsieur le commissaire cried madame renaud listen to monsieur barlat the intervention of my excellent friend was decisive pronounced by her the wife of an influential official the name of berlat became really my own and gave me an identity that no mere suspicion could affect the commissary arose and said believe me monsieur berlat i shall be delighted to see you succeed i am as much interested as you are in the arrest of arsene lupin he accompanied me to the automobile and introduced two of his men Honoré Massol and Gaston Delivet, who were assigned to assist me. My chauffeur cranked up the car, and I took my place at the wheel. A few seconds later we left the station. I was saved. Oh, I must confess that in rolling over the boulevards that surrounded the old Norman city, in my swift thirty-five horsepower Moreau Lepton, I experienced a deep feeling of pride, and the motor responded sympathetically to my desires. At right and left, the trees flew past us with startling rapidity, and I, free, out of danger, had simply to arrange my little personal affairs with the two honest representatives of the Rouen police who were sitting behind me. Arsène Lupin was going in search of Arsène Lupin. Modest guardians of social order, Gaston Delivet and Honoré Massol, how valuable was your assistance! What would I have done without you? Without you, many times, at the crossroads, I might have taken the wrong route. Without you, Arsène Lupin would have made a mistake, and the other would have escaped. But the end was not yet. Far from it. I had yet to capture the thief and recover the stolen papers. Under no circumstances must my two acolytes be permitted to see those papers, much less to seize them. That was a point that might give me some difficulty." We arrived at Darnetal three minutes after the departure of the train. True, I had the consolation of learning that a man wearing a grey overcoat with a black velvet collar had taken the train at the station. He had bought a second-class ticket for Amiens. Certainly my debut as detective was a promising one. Delivet said to me, "'The train is express, and the next stop 
is Montérolier Buchy in nineteen minutes. If we do not reach there before Arsène Lupin, he can proceed to Amiens, or change for the train going to Clare, and from that point reach Dieppe or Paris. How far to Montérolier? Twenty-three kilometres. Twenty-three kilometres in nineteen minutes. We will be there ahead of him. We were off again. Never had my faithful Moreau Lepton responded to my impatience with such ardour and regularity. It participated in my anxiety. It endorsed my determination. It comprehended my animosity against that rascally Arsène Lupin. The knave! The traitor! "'Turn to the right!' cried Delivet. "'Then to the left!' We fairly flew, scarcely touching the ground. The milestones looked like little timid beasts that vanished at our approach. Suddenly, at a turn of the road, we saw a vortex of smoke. It was the Northern Express. For a kilometre it was a struggle, side by side, but an unequal struggle in which the issue was certain. We won the race by twenty lengths. In three seconds we were on the platform standing before the second-class carriages. The doors were opened, and some passengers alighted, but not my thief. We made a search through the compartments. No sign of Arsène Lupin. Sapristi! I cried. He must have recognized me in the automobile as we were racing side by side, and he leapt from the train. Ah! There he is now, crossing the track! I started in pursuit of the man, followed by my two acolytes, or rather followed by one of them, for the other, Massol, proved himself to be a runner of exceptional speed and endurance. In a few moments he had made an appreciable gain upon the fugitive. The man noticed it, leapt over a hedge, scampered across a meadow, and entered a thick grove. When we reached this grove, Massol was waiting for us. He went no farther, for fear of losing us. "'Quite right, my dear friend,' I said. "'After such a run our victim must be out of wind.' we will catch him now. I examined the surroundings, with the idea of proceeding alone in the arrest of the fugitive, in order to recover my papers, concerning which the authorities would doubtless ask many disagreeable questions. Then I returned to my companions and said, It is all quite easy. You, Massol, take your place at the left, you, Delivet, at the right. From there you can observe the entire posterior line of the bush, and he cannot escape without you seeing him, except by that ravine, and I shall watch it. If he does not come out voluntarily, I will enter and drive him out toward one or the other of you. You have simply to wait. Ah, oh, I forgot, in case I need you, a pistol-shot. Massol and Delivet walked away to their respective posts. As soon as they had disappeared, I entered the grove with the greatest precaution, so as to be neither seen nor heard. I encountered dense thickets through which narrow paths had been cut, but the overhanging boughs compelled me to adopt a stooping posture. One of these paths led to a clearing in which I found footsteps upon the wet grass. I followed them. They led me to the foot of a mound which was surmounted by a deserted, dilapidated hovel. He must be there, I said to myself. It is a well-chosen retreat. I crept cautiously to the side of the building. A slight noise informed me that he was there, and then through an opening I saw him. His back was turned toward me. In two bounds I was upon him. He tried to fire a revolver that he held in his hand, but he had no time. I threw him to the ground in such a manner 
that his arms were beneath him, twisted and helpless, whilst I held him down with my knee on his breast. "'Listen, my boy,' I whispered in his ear, "'I am Arsène Lupin. You are to deliver over to me, immediately and gracefully, my pocket-book and the lady's jewels, and in return, therefore, I will save you from the police and enroll you amongst my friends. One word, yes or no?' "'Yes.' he murmured. Very good. Your escape this morning was well planned. I congratulate you. I arose. He fumbled in his pocket, drew out a large knife, and tried to strike me with it. Imbecile! I exclaimed. With one hand I parried the attack. With the other I gave him a sharp blow on the carotid artery. He fell, stunned. In my pocket-book I recovered my papers and banknotes, out of curiosity, I took his. Upon an envelope addressed to him, I read his name, Pierre Onfray. It startled me. Pierre Onfray, the assassin of the Rue La Fontaine at Auteuil. Pierre Onfray, he who had cut the throats of Madame Delbois and her two daughters. I leaned over him. Yes, those were the features which, in the compartment, had evoked in me the memory of a face I could not then recall. The time was passing. I placed in an envelope two banknotes of one hundred francs each, with a card bearing these words, Arsène Lupin to his worthy colleagues, Honoré Massol and Gaston Delivet, as a slight token of his gratitude. I placed it in a prominent spot in the room, where they would be sure to find it. Beside it I placed Madame Brunot's handbag. Why could I not return it to the lady who had befriended me? I must confess that I had taken from it everything that possessed any interest or value, leaving there only a shell-comb, a stick of rouge dorin for the lips, and an empty purse. But, you know, business is business, and then, really, her husband is engaged in such a dishonourable vocation. The man was becoming conscious. What was I to do? I was unable to save him or condemn him. So I took his revolver and fired a shot in the air. My two acolytes will come and attend to his case, I said to myself, as I hastened away by the road through the ravine. Twenty minutes later I was seated in my automobile. At four o'clock I telegraphed to my friends at Rouen that an unexpected event would prevent me from making my promised visit. Between ourselves, considering what my friends must now know, my visit is postponed indefinitely. A cruel disillusion for them. At six o'clock I was in Paris. The evening newspapers informed me that Pierre Onfray had been captured at last. Next day, let us not despise the advantages of judicious advertising, the Echo de France published this sensational item. Yesterday, near Buchy, after numerous exciting incidents, Arsène Lupin effected the arrest of Pierre Onfray. The assassin of the Rue La Fontaine had robbed Madame Renaud wife of the director in the penitentiary service in a railway carriage on the paris havre line arsene lupin restored to madame renault the handbag that contained her jewels and gave a generous recompense to the two detectives who had assisted him in making that dramatic arrest End of chapter four
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.